Ever since I was a little kid, I've been obsessed with science fiction. All aspects of it. Dystopic futures. Alien invasion. Cerebral science fiction. Everything under the science fiction sun. The exploration of things that are out there or things that are unseen and what we might discover are pretty incredible. Today's guest on Dr. D's Social Network is Jason Primrose, author of the recent book Zosma, a science fiction fantasy exploration into what it means to be human and beyond. Today, Jason and I had a really fantastic conversation as we explored so much within the genre of science fiction. And ultimately, it's really exploring about what makes us human. Ladies and gentlemen, Jason Primrose. Awesome. So, Jason, I have to tell you, it was one, it was nice talking to you off air for a couple minutes before we started. And um, I, I don't like to know a lot about the people I talk to ahead of time. And um, so I didn't really look up a lot, but I have your book. Thank you for sending me your book and the beautiful thing you wrote inside it. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. It's my pleasure. And a beautiful book. Um, a lot to talk about. You have a large imagination. <laughs> it sounds like. <laughs> That's like one of those things that I'm totally, like, I'm totally okay with. Like, I'll, I, will, I'll, I will always say that. I have a crazy imagination. I would love to explore the origins of that because I'm a huge sci-fi fan, like monstrous. Like I'll give anything sci-fi a chance, like anything. And <laughs> that's amazing. It is like seriously, my dad got brought me up on sci-fi movies and literature. So when uh Deborah, your um, you know, a PR person who you've worked with asked said, Hey, you know, I don't know if you're open to this, but I got this guy, Jason, who I think he'd be awesome to talk to. And she was kind of hesitant. I was like, why be hesitant? I want to talk about this, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so where did this start for you? Oh, my gosh. So um, I remember I remember one of the first books I read that inspired me to create an entirely new universe uh, that was kind of an extension of that book. Um and the book was called Jeremy Thatcher, Dragon Hatcher. And it was just like mind blowing. Like this kid goes and discovers these, this other world of dragons. And, um, and so I basically created a spinoff of that called Dragon Wars when I was 10 years old. And that grew into an eight book series um, when I was a teenager. So between writing everything I could I was also reading a ton. Like I read all of Goosebumps, R.L. Stein. I read A Wrinkle in Time, um, that whole series. I read The Chronicles of Narnia. Um, anything I could get my hands on, like the um, what was the, the the reading is fundamental. I was all in on that. Um, winning pizzas from Pizza Hut <laughs> like every <laughs> month. Um, so, and I also was grew up as an only child until I was about eight and I found myself needing to entertain myself a lot of times. Um, I was a very strange kid. I like to pretend, like to play pretend. I like to pretend I was an X-Man and a dinosaur and like whatever I could think of. 
And so, um, so yeah, I just had a habit of like playing pretend and using my imagination uh, to, you know, for my own reality. That's amazing. I, um, it's funny thinking about X-Men and all that stuff. Like I was so into that stuff. I still am, man. I'm so into oh, it. Oh yeah. I have, I have my action figures on my ledge <laughs> and um, I have the the Blackbird. It, I think they came out in like, um, in the nineties, the, the, the nineties Blackbird jet. Yeah. Um, yeah. I still have my comics and all of that stuff. I'm pretty pumped, like about the new mutants movie that'll be coming out at some point here. Uh, yeah, delayed forever, but man, yes. I can't wait. It's interesting because I, I love that they. I know that I know that it was reshot. Like they had they had some yeah things that were reshot because it's a new way to look at that genre, yeah. um, from kind of like that horror lens, mm-hmm. which is really exciting. It's really exciting to see. I think it's very exciting. It's a different kind of entry yeah. into that. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, I think it'd be interesting, but um, I, I'm fascinated by, you said you were a different child. Like, how was that perceived by other people? Well, I was always a little bit effeminate because of mm-hmm. my relationship with my mother, my close relationship with my mother. And so I, I mimicked her in every way, uh, even wanting to wear heels. And um, and so I, I, I kind of got curbed out of that behavior. But even in that, I became, I found another outlet for the energy. So I was talkative in class and uh, I would corral people into these games where like we were all different X-Men characters or... <laughs> dinosaurs on the playground um my mom was obsessed with the bodyguard soundtrack oh my gosh <laughs> and she also wouldn't let me listen to rap music or like any any other music besides um i'm from dc so there's a station called uh soft rock washington mm-hmm. so it's like uh whitney houston mariah carey um george michael things like that so that's what i was listening to when i was growing up so on the playground, I would sing things like I'm Every Woman, Queen of the Night, and I'm like eight years old or something like that. Yeah. So um, I was always that different, like weird kid that was singing Whitney Houston and playing X-Men um, on the playground. Yeah. And how, was that, how did other people perceive that from you? Were they... Um accepting of it or not or what was that like it was weird i think that i was able to connect on like the nerd the nerd yeah vibe, yeah but, um but there were definitely some questions about my like sexuality and um but it wasn't really i didn't i don't think that i don't remember being bullied very much but more so left alone like not picked for things but not like people weren't like attacking me. Um, not for that. They attacked me about my clothes and how I dressed, but not right, necessarily right. how I behaved all the time. So it was interesting. Um, I didn't really run into those problems until I was older, until we were more aware yeah. of yeah. what was expected. So are you building this universe? Was this universe being built in your mind constantly? Was it kind of an ever-present thought of like, I want to create this other kind of expansion 
of reality in these sci-fi universes? That's an amazing question. Um, so, gosh, so it's been 25 years since I first like, wrote this down, but um, yes, the short answer is yes. Uh, it's pretty much always in my head and always has been the not only the main characters, but also like the offshoot stories of like how they came to be and like what happens after or around it. And it's inescapable, I would say, at this point, that my mind has always been and always is turning around like, well, what would they do in this situation? Oh, this could happen. Oh, um, here's a new planet I could introduce or a new character or uh, a new pop, like a power. Um, so I feel like everything that I'm, I'm, I'm absorbing or, or observing, I'm filtering through the lens of like, how can I put this in my novel, um, including like human interaction or things I see on television or read in books? How have you grown? How has your life kind of, I don't want to say this, unveiled itself over time in conjunction with the universe that you've built in sci-fi? Oh, wow. Um, I would say that when I tried to turn off the world and do something that I thought was acceptable, that would make people proud, that I could understand and see, right? So when I think about um, being able to see the results before I got into it, when I turned off the world and started doing that, I I started to lose part of myself, um, the part of the things that I loved, right? I wasn't reading, I wasn't writing, I wasn't imagining, right? What was possible was only what, what I saw. And when I started writing again in 2013, it really opened up for me what I really wanted in my life, what I wanted to do all the time, which was write. And as I progressed through that, it changed my life because it got me back to who I am and away from who I was trying to be. So what do you mean um, you turned off yourself? Like, let's dive deeper into that. Like, like what does that mean? Well, the, the cool thing is that it's also a theme in my novel, but yeah. it's like turning off your powers, basically. Uh, um, you're ignoring the impulses, or rather, I was ignoring the impulses. Uh, I wasn't writing. I was not using my gifts. And so it's, it's, like, cutting, it's like cutting off at the nerve. Do you see yourself in these characters that you create and are you taking a similar journey that they're taking in your writing? Yeah, definitely. I resisted that for a while. I resisted the fact that the main character was me. Really? That I was writing about myself. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, 
there's something about visibility that I've been diving into and realizing that I had written myself out of so many stories, uh, even in my own life, and that I was unconsciously writing the main character out of the story because he reminded me of myself. And, but there's something that's really important about visibility, especially visibility of a person of color, um, even in this world, but in the world in general. And I, and I was hiding. And so the, the main character was hiding too behind other characters that um, maybe I thought were better, more fun, more powerful, more confident. And um, kind of the way that I, was conducting my own life, right? Where I was prioritizing other people and, and putting them on pedestals and things like that as being so talented and so amazing. And then, you know, I'm kind of over here doing this little thing on the side. And once I accepted the fact that it, and to that point, the other characters were always representations of people that I had experienced or like, amalgamations of people that I'd experienced. And then I put them into one character as this like powerhouse. And once I accepted that Alistair and I were on the same journey, it really brought him to the forefront and his struggle to the forefront and what he was going through uh, very much mirrors what I'm, what I've been going through, which is, linking back up with my power and learning how to use it so that I can save the world. <laughs> awesome, man. Do you think that there's um, maybe a larger theme in humans that we many times deny our gifts or our power? Oh my gosh. All the, I think, yeah, I, all the time. Um it's become clear that my vision is to get people connected to their inner power so that they can create um, without permission um, and also connect through artistry and music and, but predominantly literature. I just remember feeling like there was no point in using my power if Number one, I didn't know how to write then, and if nothing would happen as a result of it, like if, as if it didn't matter, as if I didn't matter, and so then my power didn't matter either. Yeah, I feel like there's a theme, you know, like something, I've talked to other people about this, like, you know, that you're being pulled towards something or called towards something, and it feels like, okay, this is kind of native to who I am, but then there's this their sense of like blocking it of not, it almost reminds me of, you know, kind of the superhero arc and a lot of uh, superhero movies or sci-fi where, you know, the kind of the main character and as they are kind of learning their powers and this kind of disbelief or like, I'm not good enough or how do I control this? How do I master my powers? And I, I feel like a lot of those movies and, different forms of entertainment, they, they mirror how humans are in the sense that we all have power, but we, we don't know how to wield it properly or we deny it, you know? Yeah. And 
I agree that that is a really that is a really common arc and and I think what I've seen is that it plays to it plays to certain types of people mm-hmm. and I felt that it was really important not that this doesn't exist out there but there is no like there's never too much literature of this type is to be able to show that in an african american male like you know from the united states and and having grown up in this like dystopian world um and still having the same struggles you know that i'm having right now in 2020 during a pandemic um so I I think that is our journey, right? That we have a power, all of us have a power inside of us. I think it's love is the overarching, but there's kind of like it's as if like love manifests itself in other in different ways. Like we all are, you know, certain type of kinetic, but some people are pyrokinetic and some people are telekinetic. So I imagine I imagine love is the the superpower, but it manifests itself in different ways. And so when we deny that, it's a rejection of ourselves and it's also a rejection of that overarching superpower and it takes us out of alignment. What is it about the... I do this all the time on these podcasts. I start going in and then I'm like, I have to reframe this. Think about it because I want it to come. I want the question to be something I think makes sense for you. But or what is it about, you know, our African-American experience and our um, portrayal of that and superheroes or lack of that in superhero sci-fi, the sci-fi genre, you know, um, what is it about that? I always wonder about that sometimes, you know. About why it's not more prevalent? It's not more prevalent. I mean, you see that also in kind of like your Asian American um, population, Hispanic American, and the kind of the underrepresentation. But we love sci-fi too, man. I mean, you know, and and African Americans. And I think it's interesting. Like, I think about like, I'm talking about a superhero thing or type of thing, you know, these classic representations of Superman Mm -hmm. or Spider-Man and why we aren't necessarily like why can't there be a black spider-man you know or a black superman i always think about that and i i feel like somewhat like i heard like michael b jordan was trying to pitch a superman movie with him being superman and i got really pumped about it and i don't know why that became more important to me as a 42 year old man than it did as a 22 year old man you know that's that's really funny so i am of a certain opinion about like racial switches in that way. Um, Because I think that there's room for new stories for people of color and that, uh, I don't know. I love the Miles Morales uh, Mm Spider-Man story um, as it addresses like the Spider-Verse or the multiverse that, that is there. I think that, um, I like to honor the superheroes that exist. Like I wouldn't want to see Storm White ever, you know, right. um, or or Wonder Woman necessarily black. But I guess I felt like 
there was room to create new stories that could become iconic with black people at this with black people involved. I mean, there's the characters are from everywhere. They're from, I mean, I love Australian. So there's Australian characters and there's a princess from Morocco and, you know, there's Italian and all kinds of places. Um, so I, I think that, I think that it's just like who was creating the content and how they were choosing to represent everyone based on their perspective uh, was a certain way for a long time. And now that's starting to shift. And so people are bringing in, people are bringing their perspectives into the genre, bringing those characteristics, those cultural uh, nuances as well. And I, I just think that when we're, when we're creating to me, that does it a lot more justice Um or creating kind of like an alternate arc rather than actually changing someone into like, I would love to like hear replacing the character, yeah. right? Like another, someone else survived Krypton. Like that'd be a crazy cool story. Yes. And it would be Michael yes. B. Jordan. And it would be like, you know, um, that, you know, he came way later than Superman and in this alternate world or dystopian world, Superman had left or something happened or never made it. And there was a different Superman or um, someone else that became something else. So I, to me, that's imagination, right? I don't know that it yeah. takes a ton of imagination to like swap somebody out. Um, so that's kind of where, that's kind of where my head goes when, when that, those conversations come up. But that's a really good point. That's a, I think a, a mature point of view of it in a sense, like, Hey, like, or what if we created this different arc or this different multiverse related to it? And it might land better with people <laughs> too in yeah. some way. Yeah. You know, um, what is it? You know, I, I wanted to ask you this, just thinking about it. Um, Cause sci-fi has been like, su- like seriously, a super heavy part of my life. I mean, I talk to my dad every week and we're literally talk about sci-fi every week <laughs> about it. Just as, you know, I can recite the lines, to all these sci-fi movies from, back in the eighties and stuff when I was growing up and, and things come out, what is it about sci-fi? And I, I have noticed, and I think a large public has noticed that sci-fi has become a gigantic genre in today's world. It is like, I swear Netflix and all these other programs, they're pumping out sci-fi like their life depends on it at this point. Like, what is it about that genre that sparks a huge interest in us? <laughs> I remember when Harper's Bazaar published an an article about guardians of the galaxy. And I literally was like, this has gone too far. Um, <laughs> I, I was so, I was like, what? This is, this is crazy. Um, you know, that's, that's a funny, I don't know if it's the escapism or if it's that it's so close to real like it, it, that it feels possible. Um, and because I think like science fiction and then like sci-fi fantasy, and then there's kind of these different things that all fall under that. Yeah. And, um, so you compare like a movie like Contagion, right? Mm-hmm. Which is technically what, like kind of a sci-fi, not sci-fi, but like a, it's like of that world, right? It's of that genre. And then it basically comes true, you know? So there's certain things like Black Mirror that are 
I guess the that, is that considered like speculative fiction? Kind um, of. I mean, almost techno techno sci sci fi yeah, in a sense. Yeah. You know? So I think about things like that that are like on the cusp, and uh, that that you can ground yourself in, but also are like completely like out of this world. And then there's things like Game of Thrones or, um, you know, Harry Potter or Hunger Games or, uh, oh my God, what else? Um, like The Arrival was really powerful. Oh my gosh. That might be one of my favorite movies of all Ever. Time. No Absolutely joking. Like ever. the cerebral. Yes. I've noticed the rise of cerebral sci-fi. Like yeah. the thinking person's sci-fi like mm. it's not for everybody because i know some people are like that's just i want to be just things blowing up you know yeah like, yeah i i appreciate a very well thought out like cerebral sci-fi movie or experience yes yes so i i i am shameful to admit i didn't watch interstellar but no uh, <laughs> i know it's like what on, person are you i are lost you I, know, I lost my cards on that one i lost my cards on that one i don't know why i didn't watch it i i don't really i don't watch a ton of movies and television but i try to catch the things that i like i'm going to watch it i watch cartoons sometimes um yeah. but i just watch justice league dark uh yeah, yeah. apocalypse war which was like really really twisted um yeah. but yeah, The Arrival was my one of my favorite movies ever. I just loved how intelligent it was. I I was fascinated by how they undressed language and our inability to communicate across the world because of our language differences. And I was like, that's so simple, but so true and insane. And um, so, yeah, you know, I kind of, I think that, uh, my writing ended up being kind of that where I wanted it to be intelligent, thoughtful, cerebral, and get people to think about the world that we live in and how we're and how we're living and how like I'm living, how you're living, and how we you know interact and engage with each other. Um, and traditionally, I don't think that science fiction. Um, on the mainstream level is built for that, right? It's more of like, hey, I just kind of want to get away and get lost in something. And there's some light themes around, you know, um, the hero's journey and things like that, uh, right and wrong, good and evil. Um, but it's not like I'm also getting self-help inside it, you know, or I'm, or I'm learning <laughs> something really integral to like the human experience. You know what I mean? Um, so that that's what was good about Arrival is was I, by the way I cried hard man at the end yeah. of that movie. This was beautiful about it was I mean if you haven't seen it by now I mean I'm, spoiler alert I guess but if you haven't seen it by now it's like making a choice to still do something even though you know the outcome would not mm -hmm. be great mm -hmm. for to choosing to love even when you know that there's going to be loss mm -hmm. with that that was that's a beautiful human like story. Yeah. Right there. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, I wanted to say something too about the, what we we're talking about, about kind of the Michael B. Jordan with Superman. Mm -hmm. um, the the other thing about that is that I, I think it can be a disservice to like our culture and the African-American experience overall, because 
it's it's just like the same story but with another face on it Mm -hmm. um so how do we take time and care and honoring what Mm -hmm. it is to be an african-american superhero right like not a clone or a or an alternative of one that already exists and has a storyline, but something that's true to whoever that person is or represents in the, in, in that universe or in that world. Welcome to the intermission. By now you've heard quite a bit about science fiction and how it affects all of our lives and these great stories, incredible technology alien invasion, and all the above. But it's not about the existence of things, about whether galaxies exist with life, but whether you have lived the life that's in front of you. Are you living? Or are you just dreaming of a galaxy far, far away? Think about that. Kind of like I think James Gunn, he did that movie Brightburn, which is basically mm-hmm. an alternate take on Superman, an evil Superman. You know, yeah. like what happened if the child was evil and wanted to do this person wasn't brought up to be the hope and the light of the world in a sense, but the evil that it represents, you know. Yes, yes. And I thought that's a like very different take and a horror aspect to it as well, like we were discussing. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think, I would love your thought process on this. What is our obsession with dystopic futures in these in, in the genre in many ways? You know? <laughs> because we almost live in one. <laughs> um, <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> it, you know... Um, so I, I worked for uh, I worked for Will I Am for a little while, mm-hmm. a couple years, a few years ago, and in that I learned a lot about um, artificial intelligence, and I was really fascinated at at how invasive it actually is, and and could be, and I was like, oh, we're basically like trekking toward terminator to the point where now i'm like more keen on things like you know the facial recognition technology they have all over china and how they track people and socially score them you know so it's it's kind of like it's and then social media is this weird like it's like it's a weird dystopian world in itself where what you see on the platform isn't what's real but it's what's projected. And now we're kind of seeing that whole facade crash down. And, and I just think about the feelings that are associated when you, when you log on. And so, and now we're in a pandemic and, you know, the planes are like, whoever thought that you wouldn't be able to travel, like just get up and like fly to another country or even go to another state. And now you can't without being quarantined for 14 days or you can't even get in like it that if that's not dystopian, like I don't really know, <laughs> like I don't really know what it is. So it's it's almost like um, it's almost like these things are floating around and it really just takes like for me, my imagination is really crazy. Right. So 
if an alien like landed tomorrow, I wouldn't even I'd I'd be like, okay, well, that's just crazier than what just happened, you know? And or if or if our genetics changed or if in this great awakening, you know, we started to manifest, you know, real telepath like visibly telepathic or telekinetic power. Like Yeah. All those things could be possible. We don't really know. Um so I I just think that we get obsessed with it because it's so close and maybe we kind of want it. I don't know. Mm. Maybe there's like this. I know this was something that conversation I was having with myself, meaning like a story I tell myself about my worth and my value. So you're waiting for the disaster, like for something to go wrong, Mm. even when your life is good or the world is good or things are good. And so it's almost like we kind of want this this alternate messed up universe because that's what we think we deserve. I don't know. That's really Interesting. twisted, and I don't know where that came from. But <laughs> I, I think that that could be something. Um, that could be something. We, we, we dig ourselves, and I've done it a lot before, to self-sabotage all the time. So that in in a desire for greed and consumption and – freedom and all of those things that we would plunge ourselves into this like spiraling state of destruction, I think is completely possible. Man, you just went really deep on that. (laughs) (laughs) You're presenting uh, alternate feelings that I don't think I've considered. I mean, you're telling me this and one of the first thoughts that popped in my mind is, just going back to like the first time I watched Blade Runner mm. and I'm thinking about this. I mean, that is a total, like just the, how it sh- Ridley Scott shot it and how like the rain and yeah. the vehicles in the sky and just so dark. And it's like LA is just like a dump. You yeah. know, and it's like this real, and this is a long time ago, like this dystopic future and how like, Ever what time I look at those movies, I'm like, that's so terrible. <laughs> I'm like, is that what we believe about ourselves? Like, yeah. is it is, is it that humans are so self-destructing that our destiny is these dystopic futures where it's an intersection between crazy advanced technology and almost this backwards retreat to a primitive way of living too at the same time? Yeah. Yeah. Uh I'm thinking about, you know, what state of being people are in when they write these stories and, Mm. you know, why you would write something like a romantic comedy because of the way we feel about love or what's possible for love. And so then in the same way, it's like, well, what's possible for the world? It could, it could look like this, um, and so be careful. And like, and like, those are the kind of the things, you know, um, that I think about there's, when I started writing Zazma, it was, it was right after the election Hmm. and everyone was very sad and very divided. I saw so many Facebook wars raging. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, and, everything was bubbling up to the surface. And so 
when I was writing Zazma, it was really about division. It was about borders being closed. It was about this like, you know, omniscient tracking system called sync. And, um, and so that's what I saw. And then this disbelief in climate change. And so in Zazma, it's, it, it became, well, what happens in, you know, in 30 years when all of the things that we didn't pay attention to happen, like they come to fruition essentially. And, uh, and so that's, that's what, that's where Zazma came from. And I know what I was thinking during that time is that if we don't change course, if we don't, you know, pay more attention to our fellow man in the earth, we're going to end existence for everyone. Um, and I didn't know what that meant at the time, but that's what I was, that's where I was writing from. So it's what I saw. I'm like, well, this is, you know, minus the superpowers, but everything else is certainly possible. It's it's hard to fathom sometimes, you know, it's my brother and I always say that sci-fi movies many times predict the future. And a lot of the times the things that you may see in a movie from the 1980s, you're, you are living right now, mm -hmm. currently. Like I, I just got in this discussion, like I love the movie Back to the Future mm -hmm. from growing up as part of my childhood, you know, and part two when Marty McFly is talking to... Um, needles just flee from like you know uh, red hot chili peppers and, and he's talking to him on the video conferencing phone and I'm, mm -hmm. i remember when i was a kid i was like that's so crazy people could talk to each other like they could see each other and then have a conversation i mean that happens every day all the time now yeah you know or minority report and there with tom cruise and he's like swiping you know, these different profiles from side to side on this kind of holographic screen that basically happens with people's phones and different yeah. things, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, yeah, yeah. It's That's... a predictive reality for, and like, and sometimes I think these filmmakers, do they know stuff we don't know? Like, are they just imagining it or do they know that this technology is coming? Sometimes I think if you want to know what's going to happen, watch sci-fi, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or the Simpsons. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Let's predict everything. Everything. It's crazy, right? Everything. It's crazy. Uh, everyone's pretty convinced that he's a time traveler. Um, but uh, he just has the, too many things are on the nose, like on the nose. There's, there's yeah. YouTube videos. It's it's hilarious. Um, yeah. You know, so like some of the natural disasters that I talked about, and, and it wasn't so much technology, even though I realized that when we signed up for social media, we gave up our rights to our own data mm. and our own, like whatever we pumped into that platform belonged to them as well as us, right? So you sign that away every time you update, every time they update their terms and conditions, right? So by 2052, you know, the data belongs to the to them, we've given it away, but there's like a convenience around it. So people just keep going because that's kind of how it is. But, you know, with the oceans warming up and like the the world getting was getting hotter, uh, why wouldn't there be five hurricanes in the South Atlantic? Like, why wouldn't that devastate Florida? You know, 
why, you know, in 30 years, of course, there could be a major earthquake that decimates LA. Um, that's possible. Um, so it, it became like, it became looking at what, what could really happen as a result of these changes. Um, and then writing them into the story. Yeah. I feel like maybe this is just my skewed point of view that a lot of sci-fi, it's not like happy, you know, like there's not this utopic future of like, or if it is, it, it like the cover is that it feels utopic, but then there's some underlying plot mm-hmm. that is keeping everybody kind of happy, but yeah. they're really not. There's like really just no like, hey, this future is going to be amazing. You know, it's always like an invasion or technology taking over your life, you know, or something just like a dreariness, terrible pollution. It's like, is this what we think of ourselves? (laughs) Like you're saying, maybe it's like, we think we deserve that maybe, you know? Yeah, I recognize that um, Zazma doesn't have a ton of hope in it. <laughs> and I didn't love that. Yeah. 2050Z, which I'm writing now, has more hope. It, because, <laughs> I guess I wouldn't want someone to put down a book of mine and be like, damn, this is all going to hell. You know? Yeah. So, you know, I, I look at, I look at, but then there's, there's also the, do you want the reality, you know, the harsh truth, or do you want this kind of sugar-coated version? So I think about like, you know, that's Avengers Endgame versus maybe what New Mutants might, the ending might yeah. be, you know? Uh, it's like kind of the more cookie-cutter version or the, this is real, you know? Um so I think it just depends. Yeah, there within that genre, there's different type of consumers and like people that want to escape to something that seems really bad but could be turned around, or someone that just wants to experience something real and like get down with it, get deep with it. Have you ever um, heard or read the book Seven Eves? No, but I've heard of it. I think it's on my list. It's crazy. I think you would like it. Based off of reading me reading your book and um just uh you know you're kind of this fellow sci-fi nerd that i am uh with it uh i think you would appreciate um the tremendous detail and the the future forward thinking of humanity it it feels very realistic like extremely realistic like detailing humans evolution over like five six thousand years like it's a crazy amount of it's very dense, but it's very much about genetics and our adaptation to a crumbling world and how humans adapt to that and become, in a way, weird superhumans, but not how you think it would be mm-hmm. for that. How our, you know, humans living underwater, humans living in caves, humans with, you know, the epigenetics. It's a lot about epigenetics, essentially. That sounds and, amazing. Yeah, it's like 800 pages. It's a long book. It's like it's like a grind, honestly, you know, but it feels like it could happen. Like I think that's what it mentioned like you were saying like it feels like 
were there or like these things are possible. And I think sometimes past sci-fi felt like, well, this is really out of reach. Like it's not going to happen, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. And now current sci-fi feels like the people who are making it and writing it, they're writing it from the lens of like, well, either this is kind of happening and I'm pushing a little bit further or this is where I see us going for real, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> were the gods gods or were they aliens, right? Mm-hmm. Like, who knows? Um, there's all of these ideas. Uh, I'm speaking specifically like Greek uh Roman because or Mayan or whatever because because I think that whatever we can't perceive we try to explain. So mm. I don't know that we if we if we needed to make them human so that we could understand what they look like so we could give them faces and everything like that or if they were in, in, imperceptible. So um you know that it it, it it's there's this uh, story about how the Native Americans didn't know there were ships on the water because they'd never seen ships before. Yeah. And so if something was standing in front of us, like we wouldn't even be able to give it shape because it wouldn't look like anything that we'd imagined before. Um, and so that's how I think about like whatever we can imagine may not manifest itself and, around us, with us. Um, and that goes beyond things that are physical, but also things that we want too, um, which is why I've always said that I think imagination is so important. Um, so it's kind of that like, well, if I can't imagine that, uh, you know, an alien is real or that it could land here or that how it would look like, then I'm not going to see it. Um, but I, I feel like, the genetic, uh, the, I, I really wonder about the ability of, for us to develop superpowers. Like, I mean, yeah. that would be the coolest thing that ever happened to me would be to be an actual, <laughs> like actually have like a kind of superpower. Um, but I wonder what the circumstances would be, you know, that would create that kind of genetic change or activation. And yeah, I think it'd be so cool. That's why I think 70s is amazing because I think it's realistic because it's not like some gamma radiation hit somebody or a dumpster full of something weird material created this instant superhuman. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this is just over many thousands of years, the development of potentially superhuman type things. Like, I feel like that's probably how it would be. It wouldn't be like this just traumatic one-time event it wouldn't be uh captain marvel you know i mean like it just it's never like that in reality i would imagine you know and then it's like like you say we make things human we make things kind of what we think they should be to like in many ways to recognize them but Mm -hmm. this is like a deeper conversation of like there could be things going on let's say like alien life how would you even know what it looked like you know, if it's not like us, then how would you know what it looked like? Like you, it may be undetectable to your eye. It may not even literally be detectable. You know, what a, what a ant sees versus what a fruit fly sees versus what a serpent sees versus they're all different realities. And, and how we see those things are very different. 
So who does even know, like, if there was an invasion, it may, it's not going to be maybe this ship, this big mothership and all these subships coming. It could be very different than that. And you just wouldn't even know what to look for, you know? Yes, exactly. We just I, think uh, it's going to enter our atmosphere and, and like our satellites right. are going to pick it up. How do we know that? Right, right. There's so many, right. You make that assumption like that I'm, that, that I'll know, I'll know, I'll know. Um, it's so, and it's interesting because it's such a parallel to life too, because you think things you'll know when things enter your life and you really don't until you perceive them and you start to pay attention and you're, and you're, and you're open to like possibility in your imagination that things start to become very clear, even things that you didn't see before. Um, yeah, I, I always, you know, I definitely believe that there's other life in the universe. It, it's so big. Like, how could there be no other life? I don't know that it's meant for life to interact with each other, you know, but that everyone has their own experience like the human experience is the like whatever the physical world is to be experienced by many different types of creatures across the galaxies across the universe and it's individualized though and maybe it could all have one you know super supreme being over all of it but um what i definitely believe that there's a reason why everything's so spaced out you know so that there's it's interesting. Not cross, there's not crossover. <laughs> That's really interesting. I've I've given um, tremendous thought to this. Honestly, probably more thought than a person should give to this whole thing. Is you know I listen to all different theories and ideas, and I mean mathematically, you would think, yeah, I mean hundreds of billions of galaxies and all these things. Statistically, all these Earth-like planets you know, around these things. And then I think, you know, what's our capacity to even ever be able to get there to like even interact, you know, with even like colony ships and all these things and the amount of time and distance it takes to get there. It's hard to know. But even like, um, I think about a movie um, Ad Astra. I don't know if you saw mm -hmm. that one, but like, Again, if you haven't watched it by now, I don't know what to tell you. But, uh, you know, it's there. That movie was so intelligent at the end is when Tommy Lee Jones character said, you know, we stared out from the edge of the known universe and, you know, the solar system. And there was nothing. And I saw nothing. And really the goal, the, the point of it from what I took was what if we're it? You know, and I think sometimes in the the overzealousness, overzealousness of wanting there to be other life. Sometimes we don't consider all options and, and one plausible option could be that we're it. And I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying it's an option, you know, like, and, but I also think that there is also a heavy option that a lot of life does exist out there and that you're right. It could be separated out for a reason. I just think there's a lot of options and that's one of them, you know? Yes. I wonder about your, I wonder about that perspective too, because you know, so there's this like this this thing I've been exploring more of like the human ego, right? Mm -hmm. The American ego, human ego, like et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, to be so important that we would be the only life in all of the universe mm -hmm. would definitely make me feel way bigger than like a small particle in a vast like cosm of like stars and galaxies and planets and meteors and comets and things. Yeah. Um, 
And so, but yeah, I mean, for there would be nothing for it's so far to the nearest anything. There's no way in our lifetime and maybe the next few thousand years that we get to those places. Like even traveling at the speed of light, the time still passes. So if we're not mastering like cryo cryogenics, I think is what it's called. Yeah. Cryogenics or, you know, that, that at the acceleration of time that then it at some point stands still, then like, how are you traveling to another solar system? And how many solar systems over do you have to go to find life again? You know? Um, and is it worth it to prove that other life exists or is it okay to just accept that it might or it might not and live accordingly? You know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, oh, that's an interesting perspective. It reminds me of the book Forever War mm-hmm. and that whole concept of just these wars, like that we would take war across the galaxies and space yeah. and time and, you know, coming back to where you were and just the time dilation aspect of it and things have changed. The world has changed so much. And Sometimes I think we we don't think about it. That was the beautiful thing about Interstellar is this huge um, emphasis on time dilation and visiting a planet close to a black hole and losing 60 years in that time. Like, we don't think about that. We don't think about the realities of that. And to me, it almost parallels our decision-making as people as we often make decisions without thinking about the consequences and long-term realities of those decisions. Yes, yes. You know, uh, a book I recently read, uh, The Expanse, I'm yes. really behind, but I read uh, Leviathan Wakes, I believe. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've gotten up to 570 pages, so I could probably do 70s. Um, but that book was really yeah. dense, too. It was long, and it was dense, and it was amazing. I, I, You really don't know where it's going. <laughs> like, yeah, I had even even the information on the back, like it doesn't tell you much, but to but the depth that it went into in describing how we live in the outer solar system and have occupied these moons and the way that uh, the author described gravity and yeah. traveling in space and through it, it was phenomenal. It uh, is. Time was it a little is. nebulous in there where like we don't know how long it took to travel from these different places, but like uh meaning they were moving pretty fast, like fast enough to get places within a reasonable amount of time. Um but that I thought that, that book was really masterful. And I love that even though it's a series, they really I mean they really all stand alone and feature different characters. So yeah. um yeah. That was it's my, amazing, man. Like so, as we kind of wrap up here, and uh, this has been a very stimulating conversation. I only get to talk about sci-fi like this with my brother and my dad, so this is pretty cool for me. <laughs> um, and I jumped at the chance to speak with you and have you on. But what's the future of sci-fi literature and, in general, just entertainment? I think there's a thoughtfulness coming to it. And this intelligence that's um, being consumed, that, that that's being asked for. I think that diversity will continue to be a big play 
um, not just people of color, but j- just uh, in in every you know in every form, um, disabilities, um, LGBTQ plus, uh, and, and all of those, and all of those, uh, bringing that into the real world because some of that exists in fantasy, um, but bringing that into like the real world where the heroes look different than the ones that we may have seen um, before. And I think that entertainment, uh, I I could see there being some sci-fi fantasy fatigue if, if, if there's not an influx of like newer types of content or new takes on things or, um, new ways of telling the same story, uh, rather than either bringing something that we already knew of that already has agency in the world and then bringing it to life in film or television, um, I think like new stories will be really important. Um, and this, this immersion, um, this like blending of realities between what we watch read, and read and what exists in our individual spaces. I think that's, that's what's next. That's awesome. Well, Jason, thank you for spending some time with me on the show and uh, chopping it up on a topic that I think is just a lot of people really love, honestly, but um, sometimes hard to have a very in-depth conversation about the many layers of sci-fi and how it relates to real life. So thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was really amazing to chat with you and uh, flex my nerd muscle this morning. And I also, (laughs) the name of like a new book that I can't wait to read. Um, and movies that I should have watched that I, that I you gotta be watch. watching these movies, man. <laughs> yes, I'm telling I, you. <laughs> these are, I mean, I you're writing books. I'm just watching it like crazy and reading <laughs> stuff. You got to. Oh, one last thing. I don't know if you've seen this show, but it's called Devs on FX. I think you'd be into it. I really do. You're the. I think you're like the second or third person who's told me about this. But. It's actually so mind blowing. And it's slow. Like you gotta like you'll be like, okay, I'm gonna give this like one more episode type of thing. Okay. But once it gets rolling and when you find out what happens, it like it like break your mind on some level. You're like, what? Like it's it's so realistic, but it's one of those things you said like this could be coming type of thing. Oh, close. Wow. Yeah. Okay. You just gotta it's like eight, it's eight episodes or something. It will break your mind. That's it. It will break your mind. I'm telling you, man. Oh, wow. Okay. On FX. Okay. You heard it here from me, devs. (laughs) Got it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Jason. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone.